Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Church of Roy, an armchair All-American podcast. Warning, today's show may include adult language. And here are your hosts, Brian Wilcox and Steve DeWalt. Welcome, everybody, to episode three of the Church of Roy podcast. We are recording, I think, for the first time in the show's history after a win. So we're going places. I'm your host, Steve DeWalt, associate editor at Blazer's Edge. Um, I'm joined by my co-host, the fearless man from Denver, Brian Wilcox. Say hello, Brian. Every week, every week, <laughs> every, every week. Have you gone to any sporting events in, in beautiful Colorado in the last week? I have not been an off week for me, man, but oh, okay. you know, we'll be hit one soon here. Tickets yeah, are I'm, spendy. I'm, a hope, I'm hoping to get out fully vaccinated now and, and looking to get to some outdoor events. Now they're kind of starting up. Um, we are here obviously talking after a win, uh, the Anthony Simons game, uh, 27 points, ties an NBA record going nine for nine from three point um, before he misses his his 10th attempt, uh, sets a franchise record, beats Terry Porter, seven for seven mark. Uh, what'd you see last night? We'll, we'll cover the good and then we'll kind of get into kind of what we saw in that Memphis Grizzlies series. Sure. Brian. Uh, last night, you know, they did what they had to do. Got a win against an inferior opponent. Uh, Indiana's super banged up. And I think just a loss last night would have been adding gas to what's been a dumpster fire this month. So um, you love to see it. Love to see Ant going off. Uh, he's he's sneakily 10th in the NBA in three-point percentage now on not an insignificant amount of attempts. So guys showing he's a shooter, and it was really on display last night. I, I think it's it, what he was doing last night is kind of always – he's walking the footsteps of that – comparison of kind of what the archetype we all kind of thought he would fit into. I don't think either of us, especially in our conversations coming into this ever really viewed Ant as a 
facilitator, traditional point guard. He's always mm-hmm. for us kind of been in that mold of, mm-hmm. of a Jamal Crawford, of a Lou Williams, of a guy with a little bit more of a three point shot, maybe a Jason Terry almost. Um, we really saw that on display, a lot of confidence. Now, that being said, I'd like to see it replicated a little bit before I, I see some people ready to rush out and kind of crown him as this is the first step to the Gary Trent Jr. ascension that we saw in the bubble. Like, I, I, I kind of want to see it a couple more times, but those shots are in his wheelhouse, and, and he was due to get some shots go his way. Yes, he's at a high percentage, but there, there's a lot of games where you're, he can disappear for long stretches. So it was nice to see him get going and really get that green light. Yeah, he's a definition of streaky right now. <laughs> you know, it's, to your point, we just need to see the consistency out of him. Uh, regarding last night's game, and, you know, it, it was a win. The final score looked really good, but it, I'd be remiss to not point out that they did give up 35 points in the first quarter to the freaking Pacers after, you know, as you're coming in on a five-game losing streak. Um, watching that first quarter was pretty frustrating. You'd think that, on a five-game slide, you come in with your piss pretty hot, but mm-hmm. coughing up 35 to that team <laughs> no. was not a good look. And, I, you know, after the game, I was kind of thinking about it, what it meant moving forward, and that really did kind of just stick in my craw a little bit. And, you know, uh, you keep thinking this team's going to – or you keep hearing that this team could just turn it up and turn it on, but if you're on the five game slide, giving up 35 points in the first of the Pacers, there's not a lot of hope there, especially defensively. No, but I mean, I, I, I don't disagree with you there. I mean, it is concerning, especially coming into a game. Like you said, you want to be prepared. You want to be putting your best foot forward, especially after two games against the Grizzlies that were just awful. Those, mm-hmm. those were some of the, that I think for me, that was, one of the that's it reminded me of the low there reminded me almost of the pelican series a couple years ago where it was just you feel helpless almost and you're and you're wondering if this whole thing's going to crumble around the whole team um that said the the real positive for me was is closing that game out the game was well in hand in the third quarter being able to get some rest going into this game tonight it was huge And, and we're recording before the grizzlies game on Wednesday. So depending on how that game goes, the tone of this podcast could be very different. Very true. Uh, We try not to get too far into the weeds on that type of stuff. This week has tons of sports action on the go as the NFL draft is on and the Kentucky Derby is back as the first leg of the Triple Crown begins this weekend. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including the MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC and MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sports news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Hey guys, this is producer Perry, and I want to talk to you about an awesome app that we've been using here on the Church of Roy called Locker Room. It is a live, audio-only sports talk platform. You can talk to me, you can talk to Steve, Brian, lots of other insiders and athletes, including Andre Iguodala and Bam Adebayo. It is free to use on all iOS devices, including your iPhone, your iPad, and all things like that. Guys, it's been a blast being able to talk to all of you and communicate 
uh, in just a different way, a different avenue to, to get our points and perspectives across. So all you have to do is go to your iOS app store and download the Locker Room app for free. I, I think... I think the first point I want to talk about, though, is that Terry Stoss thing being prepared and really obviously he's kind of become the the scapegoat around Portland, whether that's 100 percent accurate or, or it's a little off base. It's definitely become the narrative. So, like, as of right now, Brian, going into next season, if you had to put a percentage on what you feel Terry Stotts will be back as the head coach of the Trailblazers, if you're given a percentage point, what would it be? Because this is a topic that Jason Quick touched earlier this week. I believe he put it at 90%. He thought that Stotts was going to be out. So so are you close to that or different? You know, the first thing that popped in my head was 90, 85, 90, right in that range. But there is still season left. Um, we've seen it before where Portland finds another gear towards the end of the year and, you know, maybe can go in there and make a little noise in the playoffs. This is really not based on anything we've seen this month, but just on past performance and, and the runway we have left. Um, so maybe I'll go conservative. I'll say by conservative, 75% chance that he's not the Blazers coach next year. I I think I'm going to go, I don't mean to be the hot take guy, but like, I think it's, I think it's 99% for me. I really think it, I think it's over. I, I think the, the spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. Narratives that have come out and the people who are covering them in this market and how this team is trended and the type of flexibility they have going into this offseason. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's Terry's the fall guy for a lot of this. Um, like I said, right or wrong, a little bit we caught touched on in the last podcast. Um, and the main point of this whole podcast, what we're really going to get into, is there's no black and white in the in this arena. I think there is there's some coaching stuff, but there's also a lot of roster construction stuff. So what we wanted to do today was look at the top ten teammates that Dame has had during his tenure with the Blazers. So who are the best guys that have been around Lillard? This spans the LaMarcus Aldridge era uh, and the post LaMarcus era, which really is kind of how you basically break up the Dame era. Mm -hmm. Um, 
a little I, this. So me and Brian don't know each other's list right now. We're going to count down from 10 to one. Uh, we got some honorable mentions in there as well. As far as my, how I approach this list and we didn't really agree upon this before. So hopefully we're not too far off. This isn't Dame's favorite teammate or best teammate. Otherwise, you know, you can only write Tim Frazier down so many times. So, so Blevins. yeah, Tim Frazier, Ed Davis, you know, so these are the list here is I would say talent and production, some mix there. And during the current time there with the Blazers, obviously it's not all-star level. Chris Kamen. It's not, it's, I had to say Chris Kamen. I mean, how many more times am I going to say Chris Kamen this episode? But, um, uh, Carmelo, not, it's not the all pro all NBA Carmelo. Um, right. It's, when, I, uh, when I put this together, it was kind of their play with the Blazers. And then I think I gave a little bit of a nod to longevity and team success. Um, you know, maybe that 10, 15% in there. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think there's a I little used, bit of a mix. Yeah. I, I think if it was close for me with somebody, I would look at, at playoff production um, and also just kind of the general feel of what, what that era felt like and whether or not right or wrong that that person fulfilled the expectation they had in that role on their team or at that, not necessarily cap standpoint, but just kind of how the roster was constructed around them, whether or not they fulfilled the, what their role on the team. Agreed. Yep. So let's get started. Let's get some names out there. The guys who just missed the cut for me, I have, I have six cause I'm, I'm not picky. I had a full list of like 20 some guys on here. I just want to make sure I didn't miss anybody. Yep. So these are the first six out for me. Um, so I have Evan Turner, Ed Davis, Mo Harkless, the recently traded Gary Trent Jr., Alan Crabb, and I think this is a controversial one for me. I have Carmelo Anthony just outside the top ten. Nice. Well, I also have Carmelo outside the top ten. Uh, he was a late cut, but mm-hmm. in addition to Carmelo, Turner, and Harkless on your list, I also have Mason Plumley. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cantor, the man, the myth, the legend, Chris Kamen, and uh, <laughs> man after yeah. my own heart. Yeah, and then uh, Seth Curry as well. Seth Curry was close for me just because of, of that season where his lone season there was such a dynamite three-point shooter. Yeah, what really kind of cost him on my list was he was about 19 minutes per game in the regular season. Did go up slightly in the postseason. Um, to 20 minutes a game, but right there on the cusp for me. Same, same with Mason Plumley as well. I think people kind of forget about Mason Plumley in that Clipper series where he – that was the first time we really saw the ball taken out of Damian Lillard's hands, and it was mm-hmm. really Mason Plumley acting as a point guard in that setup that, that helped deliver that series win, even as the Clippers' injuries racked up. Um, he was a tough cut for me, I think – um, he's kind of had a strange career since he's left backing up Jokic now in Detroit, but he really was crucial to bridge that kind of Robin Lopez to, um, Nurkic those couple years there and, and mm. had that big Clipper series where he really turned the tide with his ball handling, which is kind of bizarre to think about now, but well, I mean, it, ha- it happened. Let a guy, a guy who didn't make the list that, that, well, I guess what, 
No, he wouldn't have been. Oh, I think he won year. I mean, you were only three years removed from, from J.J. Hickson when we got to Mason Plumley. So, I mean, there is Oof. perspective here. So, true. I, I do like that list. I think, uh, I think that's basic. I think we've touched on everybody that kind of just missed for me. I don't think there was anybody really on, on the list that got left out completely. I, Steve Blake was another guy I kind of – just looked at and same with Mo Williams. I think Mo Williams, if like Carmelo Anthony, if we're constructing this list a little differently, both those guys are, are on there just for what they accomplished before their time in Portland. Uh, Blake, um, Blake to me is much more of a Roy era contributor, mm-hmm. you know, infamously mm-hmm. the whole Miller, Andre <laughs> yeah. Miller, Steve Blake, starting point guard controversy is a deep cut, but. Well, and then you yeah, have, I mean, they just had, the Blazers just kind of had a run on Maryland guards for a while Juan Dixon and, and Steve Blake I'll, I'll go deep cuts man so I don't, know, I don't know if we got the time but all right so number 10 who you got at number 10 the, the start of the list yep I have uh, Gary Trent Jr. he's a blazer from uh 2018-19 until this year um and for me just his reliability uh hitting the three he wasn't as consistent as maybe you would have loved to see I don't think he reached that Seth Curry level of consistency but he played bigger minutes um his defensive intensity was up there it kind of seemed like towards the end of his blazers tenure his uh intensity might have curtailed a little bit as mm-hmm. his offensive load went up but you know the guy was reliable he played hard um and and fit a nice niche for portland for a team that shot, shoots as many threes as they do so he's my number 10 steve who do you, who do you got Real quick on real real quick on Gary Trent Jr. I, I think one thing that's really helping him in his favor that, that was almost got him on the list for me was is that exceeding expectation. Gary Trent mm-hmm. Jr. comes in as a second round pick and, and you know turns into the centerpiece in a trade that gets you one of the most coveted guys at the trade deadline this year in Norman Powell. So as far as exceeding expectations, you can't ask for much more from Gary Trent Jr. So I, I don't, I don't mind. I don't disagree. He's not my number 10, but I don't disagree with that pick at all. Um, my number 10 is newcomer this year, uh, Robert Covington. He has not had a dynamite year offensively. And, and yes, he, he is a defensive specialist on a team that is historically bad on defense, mm-hmm. but He's had stretches where he's shooting the ball really well. Defensively, I think a lot of the sins of this Blazers team are not his fault necessarily. He's a guy you just kind of trust out there. Um, there there's another guy further down my list that I'll kind of compare him to. But I, I think Covington just kind of does a little bit of everything. He is – Portland has not had a lot of two-way forwards – in in Damian Lillard's time in Portland and that's kind of what gave him the edge for me his production numbers aren't quite there to some of these other guys even some guys I left off the list Mm -hmm. I just think of being a competent two-way player I think Robert Covington's right there so he's my number 10. You know you might be discounting his offensive productivity a little bit he's up to I think 38 percent from three or something which if you could tell me that another guy who might pop up later uh, the starting power forward for Portland was shooting 38% from three. We would have been, you know, jumping for joy. And we'll open. get, so we'll get there, but yeah. All right. All right. I'll go into my number nine. It's uh, it's currently on the roster backup center and his canter number nine. I, I will say this. He got a big boost for me just from the Western conference finals run. 
comes in, steps in for Yusuf Nurkic, is a, the starting center for Damian Lillard's deepest postseason run. Now, granted, Cantor is contributing a lot early in the playoffs, and then the Blazers are are succeeding in spite of him later on in that series. But there's a lot of guys that are have the similar criteria, hit those same notes on this list as well. Um, I, I just think he is in a different era. He, his values much differently, uh, valued much differently. He's more of a traditional 90s big man. He's going to get rebounds. He's going to get those low post baskets. Uh, not really a floor spacer and certainly not a rim protector, but I was going to give you a double, double night in night out. And when you're looking at consistent production, it's tough to argue. And really that Western conference final run, put him over the top for me. Yeah. He was my hardest cut. Um, it was between him and Trent primarily. I mean, Plumley was right there, but I think Cantor, I figured he might come up on your list. So I saved him, <laughs> but, but yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to argue with his production and, and how he's able to fill in on that Western conference finals run. So I can totally see that. Who you got, um, who you got at number nine? Rolling into my number nine is a, another center, uh, Robin Lopez. Mm. 13-14 to 14-15 for the Blazers. The guy was the ultimate glue guy. Um, had some similarities to Cantor in the fact that you know, do the dirty work, re- hit the glass, hit the glass hard. Great screener um, for Lopez. He really worked nicely next to Aldridge and Dame. You mentioned JJ Hickson earlier, which was mm-hmm. kind of a debacle at center next to Aldridge. So uh, Lopez being able to come in and and provide um, some defense. Good screening. He had a pretty nice touch around the basket too. And, you know, the guy also kicked the shit out of any mascot that uh, talked <laughs> to him, which was always a pleasure to watch. I, I, I have Robin Lopez a little bit higher on my list. I, I, I try not to give it away too much, but, or, or do this too often, but I have, I have Robin Lopez at number six on my list. I, I think he is, I, I think just being a two-way player for what he did for Portland and stabilize that position, I, I think he allowed LaMarcus Aldridge to reach new heights with the Blazers, and I think he was kind of the first guy to give Damian Lillard really that separation on the perimeter. Um, you know, one thing that's kind of interesting, too, is like Lopez is still in the league and is not nearly as effective. And mm-hmm. part of that's probably age, but part of that's probably also how the game's changed in the last six, seven years. Um, he was going up a bunch of guys, you know, against a bunch of guys who are primarily his size too. And he could hold his own with just about anybody. I mean, he'd get his lunch ate by Dwight Howard a couple times a year or whatever. Yeah. But, oh yeah. But uh, it was kind of pre-unicorn. So he wasn't such a mismatch um, out there as maybe he is now. So mm-hmm. And really just allowing him to play on that team he was on, he was allowed to really play for play to his strengths. And I think Portland for a lot of like a lot of the Nurkic defensive settings, you're chasing that in a lot mm-hmm. of these years until recent years. If you're chasing to try to get back to that Robin Lopez style setup. Um, I, I just think also the team he was on could have reached a totally different height than, than what we've seen some from some of the other guys who are immediately on my list. Sure. So, so my number eight is, is a guy we mentioned uh, a little bit ago or, or alluded to is Al Aminu. Mm-hmm. Uh 
came in free agent signing for your for your contract everybody was kind of shocked by didn't really know who he was when he signed with the blazers if we're going back and looking at it what you got was a night in night out starter yes he had some he had some significant flaws in his game but as a one-on-one defender scheme defender he could do the job the the highest the Blazers have ever gotten as far as in terms of defensive efficiency, the mm-hmm. most competent they've had with Dame minus Lamarcus Aldridge is largely due to what Al Farouk Aminu could do every night. He's a guy who could guard one through five. Obviously, you don't want him on ones or fives for long periods of time, but he yep. did a little bit of everything. Yes, his offense wasn't pretty. That is one of the ugliest jump shots I've ever seen in my life. Catapult, um, <laughs> the catapult. But I, I still think just from a coming in, getting a day in, day out starter for four years for the contract they had him on, uh, it's tough to beat that dependability and the, and doing the little things. I'm going to keep my response pretty short because I have him just a little bit higher than you do, and mm. and uh, I have some thoughts on the Aminu era. Okay, okay, but. Go ahead. Hit me with your number eight, then we'll save. We'll save your Aminu take. Okay, I'm going uh, Nicholas Batum at number eight. Whoo! <laughs> Feeling like that's a little low, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean. He's Swiss Army knife. I think he was pretty overrated defensively, um, and didn't quite show up every night, which was what probably my main knock against the guy. Um, I, you know, I think he kind of got a reputation as maybe a defender that. He truly wasn't, in my opinion. But the thing I appreciate the most about him is he's probably been the best front court secondary playmaker that Dame's played with in in his career. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's really tough to actually even, and you could argue maybe Batum was a little bit of a two, but I think he was a three. He slotted pretty well there, and so I think he might be the only guy at the three spot that you could could really initiate an offense and and was known for having a little bit of passing acumen. So, um, I, do, do, you think, do you think looking at his career, how it played out now and what he came into the league as yes, in those early Roy teams, he was pretty, he was small. He's a kid. He's 18 years old, 19 years mm-hmm. old. But by the time Dame rolls around, do you think if, if the Draymond green blueprint was already out there, do you think, Nick Batum's career unfolds differently. Like imagine where he is now. He's old, but he's playing a role that's similar to what, you know, he's a power forward basically. Mm-hmm. Do you think they would have tried to shepherd him into that position, that front court player? Now, granted, you can't look at Portland's roster construction at the time because obviously sure. power forward's locked down. But do, do you think that would have been on the table? I don't know if you had the – girth man i mean he was skinny when he came into the league and he really was more of a two i think when he started and so i'm a big fan of having size at your position though so um but i I don't know i don't know if you could have packed it on man it's it's an interesting thought process um i think you just send the ball you sent him home a, with Boris. You sent him home with Boris Diaw one off season. I was waiting for back. the. I was waiting for the. Back. You know Boris Diaw uh, career track that he's on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know he's actually had some moments with the Clippers this year, more so earlier mm-hmm. in the year than now. But he's still around doing his thing. Um, for me, I I think it just came down to he was a little overrated defensively, but 
I will give him, you know, the guy was a fantastic secondary playmaker in the front Mm -hmm. court next to Dame. So he's number eight for me. All right. So who's your number seven? Rolling into seven, I got Rocco. Um, Great team, guys. His ability to shoot the three. Uh, You know, I think he'd be higher on the list. It's just we've always craved a guy in the four spot who could reliably make a three and uh, play defense. But I think he's a little miscast. It's something we've talked about in previous pods. He's a little miscast as kind of this one-on-one stopper. And that might not necessarily be his fault, but, you know, he, he gets put into positions that aren't necessarily most beneficial for his defensive output. And um, he's just miscasting that. And mm-hmm. oh yeah, that's why he's where he is. But I think potentially he could have been, you know, a little I mean, I had, a, I had him at number 10. So, I mean, I'm I not going to, I'm not going to argue with you. This week has tons of sports action on the go as the NFL draft is on and the Kentucky Derby is back as the first leg of the Triple Crown begins this weekend. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including the MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC and MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sports news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Yeah. I, I also I, – I, I agree with everything you said. I think there's stuff we've touched on before. I think the idea of Robert Covington mm-hmm. is, is a lot different than what, what we get on every night, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, and that's not necessarily his fault. I think from a scheme standpoint like we've talked about, he he's not necessarily the ideal fit. When you hear a three D three and D player, it you think of you know it's a one size fit all type thing, and really it's not. There's a lot of schemes that go into that, and, and what you're really asking them to do. It's not just mm-hmm. a blanket three point shot and defense. So my number seven is also a, a brand new guy. He's got the shortest run with the Blazers uh, of anybody on my list. I have Norman Powell at number seven. Um, Obviously not not a track record here, um, but just from a sheer talent standpoint, what he has been able to do and show what he can do on the court, playing out of position in my opinion, he plays competent defense. He is a, a transition threat. He's a three-level threat. He gives it his all on both ends of the floor, and he does have an advantage that maybe Dame and CJ don't have where he's not – being asked to do as much on offense, but just from being a triple threat, what what he has in his arsenal, in his bag is not really something that Damian Lillard has had next to him a lot. So I, I know it's a short track record, but it, it's tough to keep him off this list. So I have him at number seven. Well, I'm at six. So I'm right there with you. Um, it's a short, short track record. I think you're projecting a little bit uh, based, based on what he's done in a short time in Portland, but he's truly one of the more well-rounded guys that Dame's played with. We've talked previously about our roster, the Portland's roster being flawed and you either get defense or offense and not much in between or no, nobody can do both. Right. And mm-hmm. I do think Powell can, can do both. He's well-rounded and I think he looked even better at the two next to Dame, quite frankly. Oh, oh, oh okay. I'm more just on saying, that later, I'm just, sure. Just, just observation, <laughs> just an observation. <laughs> Okay. So have you done your number seven? 
Yeah, I'm I had Roco at seven. Okay. I had, uh, I had Powell at six. So we... Okay. And then I've already covered. I got Robin Lopez at six. We've already kind of touched on the Robin Lopez thing. Okay. Um, so number five. Who do you got at number five, Brian? Aminu. Al Farouk Aminu. The Prince. So I might get a, you know, a little crap for this one, but hear me out. The guy was a pretty stout one-on-one defender at the four spot. You already mentioned he could guard one through five. Obviously, you don't want him on ones or fives that often, but he'd hold his own in uh, minimal possessions. And um, the guy just seemed like he was in the right place at the right time, stayed healthy. He was the ultimate role player, played hard. Probably get some points for the longevity that he's in Portland next to Dame. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he could have just shot the three a little better, I don't think we would have ever wanted to get mm-hmm. get rid of him. But seeing that catapult from the corner <laughs> hit the back iron or or you know, yeah, too many oh, times, and I, I think that's that sticks in people's minds. But that guy brought it on a Tuesday night in Milwaukee. He was guarding whoever it took, and, yeah. and he was a good scheme fit for Portland as well. Hey. And let's just – I think one thing I didn't touch on when I, I mentioned him on my list was this guy was tasked with the impossible task of filling LaMarcus Aldridge's shoes at the power forward position when he came in. Yeah. And that's that's impressive. I mean, granted, Portland's going to be begging for a fan favorite, but but to come in and actually produce and play the full length of his contract – is impressive. Like it's, he, they threaded that needle with that. It wasn't always perfect, like we said, but you could do a lot worse. I mean, we've we've all watched Portland do a lot worse with that same amount of money. So, I will say I, too that you know the the NBA kind of changed at the right time for Aminu. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he was as a three might have been a little little slow and couldn't shoot quite as well. But then once everyone started downsizing, he just split into that four spot for Portland extremely well i think he was really drafted as a three for the clippers but well i think he was signed as a three i mean if myers leonard doesn't mess up his shoulder we we have a lot longer run of mason Plumlee, myers leonard alfru camino in the front court which mm-hmm. woof that was that was ugly before the injuries even oh, so yeah. so my number five is is the Bosnian beast Yusuf Nurkic at at number five for me. I think I wanted to put him higher on this list, but just because of of the injury stuff and some of just how he came into this season, which I know he's going through a lot of personal stuff and I don't want to knock a player for that, but it's, it's been hot and cold when it's hot. He is, he could be number three on this list. No problem. Mm -hmm. Um, when it's off, it, Portland is not built to to sustain him not playing like himself or him being out of the lineup for a long period of time. There's a totally different team. Um, on the positive side, he he is there. He is a a. I think he he deserves a lot more credit for his creativity on offense. As far as seeing the floor, that's something that he's really blossomed into that he didn't show a lot of in Denver that he really does really well in Portland. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, he doesn't finish as efficiently as we'd like under the rim, but still he's a a creative offensive player. He's kind of getting that that outside shot in his bag. At least he's got the 18-footer now. Um, And as far as just really creating space for Damian Lillard on screens and on actions – 
nobody has done it better than Yusuf Nurkic. And for that, almost alone, he, he's at number five for my li- on my list. Yeah, and, you know, with our open-ended criteria, there's nothing I can really argue with there. I have him at three. Um, just because I think when he's healthy and motivated, it changes the entire complexion of the team and can just raise the ceiling of the team so much higher than some of these other guys that we've seen for a good amount of, of Lillard's time with Portland. But I think you kind of hit the flip side, hit the flip side of the coin where he's kind of struggled a little bit with staying healthy, maybe with some motivation issues. And, and that alone can almost kind of sink the team too. So I can see it both ways. And, and, uh, yeah, it, mm-hmm. it's tough, man. When he's on, he's he, he'd yep. be a, he'd be a hands down number three, right? Yep. I know they're anyway. Yeah, he's a he's a franchise pillar when he's dialed in, and, and but when he's not, this roster the flaws on it are glaring, and like I said, Portland's just not built to to have him not be a, a top tier player. Yeah. So, are right. you you already hit number five? That was a menu, man. Oh, that's right. You might have All to right. take some notes. Yeah, I know. I got <laughs> I'm trying to keep track of my own list, damn it. So um I'll go number four, guy you've already mentioned. Uh Nick Batum is number four for me. Yes, I I, I might be carrying over some of the Brandon Roy era. I, I do understand that, and I do understand the idea of Batum is is a lot better than what the production really was in Portland a lot of the time. That being said, you, you really hit on it with the secondary playmaking. He was a guy you could really trust with the ball, I felt like. He, he was a guy you could drop the ball off to. He's either going to make, make the right pass initially, take a couple dribbles, get to his own shot, which something we probably would have liked to have seen more, or take a couple dribbles and find, find the, where the ball needs to go there. Yep. Defensively, I, he, there was a lot you could throw at him. He could guard a lot. Um, there was another guy next to him there at that time that, that I'll get to that, that kind of stole the spotlight there a little bit defensively. Um, but, but really, night in, night out, Aminu's guarding either the first or second option on a, an opposing team every night, um, unless it's a post player. Just really, really creative. I, I think he's ahead of his time. I, I think it plays out a little differently if, if you run his career back in today's era. Um, like I said, he's still kicking, still playing yeah. for the for playing for a ring with the Clippers this year. So, you know, so he's my number four. And I kind of shit on him for his defense, but you look back and in, in Dame's second year when they went fifty four and twenty eight, which has been the best record Dame's had um, in his Portland career. You could make a pretty good argument that Batum was the second best player on that team that year. And I was looking really hard at that going, is he underrated on my list? And I kind of thought maybe you're going to come in hot with, with Nick (laughs) Batum on this list. Yeah. I, I also too, I mean, just to touch back on the theme we touched, we, we mentioned earlier is as far as exceeding expectations, Nick Batum is one of the top guys as far as buying a pick from, the the Phoenix Suns for you know a Paul Allen purchase to come in and get a guy who who started almost immediately. Granted, it was in you know he was Noah Vonley before Noah Vonley was cool and actually grew into a player. Um, I <laughs> hey we're shitting on Noah Vonley. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. No. Um, I, I I just 
and, and he's one of the rare guys who who spanned two two eras of this Blazers team. Um, and really watching him put it together that one that first season he's in Charlotte, I was happy for him. It wasn't one of those ones where it's like ah, ah crap that was a terrible trade. It was hey this guy's about to get paid paid and he did. I mean, it was granted. It turned out to be one of the less ideal contracts in the league, maybe the worst contract in the league for a while. I was going to say, I think you're being but. kind. That might have been the worst contract in the league for a bit, but <laughs> so. he did that. His first year in Charlotte was tough. So, who so. you got at number four, Brian? All right, number four, I got Wesley Matthews, mm. shooting guard from 10-11 uh, season to 14-15. I think he's a little underrated. Um, looking back, I think that maybe his. Um, it says <laughs> he's clear cut best player on a couple of those 50 win teams. Mm-hmm. Um, third best player, I think his legacy was hurt a little bit by the Achilles tear, which really took the wind out of the sails of that Portland team that year. Who was looking that was the year they traded for a flalo and looked like they were ready to really go all in, and then the rapid ascension of CJ. But you know, sitting next to Dame in the, in the backcourt, he was a tough, rugged defender. Uh, he's only six four, but it seemed like he played like you know he's he, he's bigger. Um, knockdown standstill shooter. I think he did cover for Dame's defensive deficiencies in a few ways, and and really sometimes when I think of a bigger two guard next to Dame, I kind of think of that Wesley Matthews type player, mm-hmm. and I think that says a lot about his kind of legacy and output with Portland. I, I, I'll just go into it. Wesley Matthews is number three on my list. I, I think he is the, the, was the, if we're going to credit Al Farouk Aminu for following LaMarcus Aldridge, we have to credit Wesley Matthews for following Brandon Roy, mm, which was an impossible point. task. Yep. Um, just what he brought as far as a captain and fire every night, like this guy was fired up to play the Charlotte Bobcats on a Wednesday on, you know, FS Charlotte backwoods, you know, like this guy was, he was ready to go and this city loved him. And and I think you say the Achilles injury hurt him, which yes, obviously it hurts the Blazers chances. I think it just adds to the lore. Like if you look at the, the team, that team, that was a legit, it title under and that is the i think the overarching theme for this whole list for me was the real legit title contending team the blazers had was that pre wesley injury and and when he went down i was at that game and and i'll never forget that was one of the toughest moments in my sporting fanhood ever period And, and i just what he did on the court as far as setting an example, lead by example from the defensive end. And then just really, he was one of the first guys and the only guys to ever figure out how to guard James Harden. Mm -hmm. And and the injury changed that, obviously. You lose a lot of mobility on the perimeter, but he's another guy who still, he was so skilled in the other parts of his game that he carved out a career in Dallas and now he's with the Lakers and he's bounced around a few places in between. Um just one of those those top guys that it was just hard for me to keep him out of the top five, and I ended up putting him at number three. Yep. You know, I, 
I went back and forth with him and Nurk too. Wesley is one of my all-time favorite Blazers, so mm-hmm. uh, he really was kind of that perfect Blazer, that rugged, just kind of an old-school mid nineties, early nineties guy, right. That you could just as you could see him on that team just as easily as you could have seen him play next to next to Dame. Mm-hmm. Who you got at number three, Brian? I had Nurk. Nurkic. Oh. Yeah. So I, I bet there's going to be a lack of drama with the top, top two <laughs> here. Uh, I have CJ at two. Mm-hmm. Um, Go ahead. Obviously and go number one. LA. You can give them both if you want. Yeah. Marcus Aldridge happy retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, CJ, exceptional offensive player. I think it kind of says a lot about the about Dame's teammates, though, when um, you have a guy that's so redundant to Dame's skills in that two spot. And mm-hmm. the only hardware he has is that most approved player he got the, the year after Wesley left and, and he started. Um, no all-star looks. I think he certainly was looking at a potential all-star berth this year before uh, he got banged up and missed a bunch of time. He was on a torrid start, but it it is kind of wild when you when you really put that in perspective. But he is a you know absolutely incredible offensive player, and and he's he's been extremely consistent the last six years or so on on the offensive end next to Dame, and they have always played well off each other. I I think too often we get caught up in the redundant skill sets of Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum to really understand the true beauty of C.J. McCollum's game mm-hmm. and really what the Blazers organization was able to do in consecutive drafts to go and target these two smaller offense-first guards and have them both hit and become franchise pillars. Now, granted, there's a, there's a certain segment of this fan base that would prefer C.J. McCollum was not a franchise pillar, but let, let's be real here. This is a team that he – was a crucial part of a Western Conference final run. I would argue he was the best player in that Denver series. I, I don't think that's a tough argument to make. Agreed. Um, I, I think just some of the defensive stuff, it's the same stuff that's going to bug Dame's resume unless he gets to a title here. Um, what he can do as a basketball player as far as sheer beauty in a game that often – we are all about quick twitch and just really these imposing seven foot. You can really move what he can do at his size with the level of skill that he does is truly special. And what I have to do, no matter how much I want, like I would want the Blazers to explore a, a roster balancing trade that probably involves CJ McCollum. I do try to take a moment when he absolutely puts somebody in a spin cycle to go, Hey, Players like this don't come along very often and to enjoy it. Now, now, granted, he had the, the post-injury stuff, he's still getting fine in his legs, I would assume. Yep. He's looking for a shot a little bit more than normal. But, but this is just a small little bump as far as what he's done in his career and really a clear-cut number two guy for me. And I think, I think you should get credit, too, for accepting the role next to Dame. I think mm-hmm. CJ could – absolutely go to another team and get up 30 shots a night and have the ball in his hands the entire have the same kind of usage rate that the dame has but you know he's a by all accounts great human he's an amazing basketball player and has been able to make that partnership with dame work even though Mm -hmm. dame gets a lot of that spotlight that 
you know, maybe CJ deserves a little bit more of going back mm-hmm. to that Denver series. He was the guy. And, and, uh, anyway, his ability to take the, take the back seat for a lot of the time, I think just says a lot about him as well. And, you know, really, I'm kind of ashamed to say, I didn't really even think about that when I was putting him on the list, but really that is something that you don't really find. It's pretty rare mm-hmm. to, to have a guy who, to be that skilled of an offensive player and still know with about 90% certainty that you're not going to see the ball on the last possession is mm-hmm. pretty impressive to, to come in and make that relationship work and sustain for a long period of time. Something um, he doesn't get enough credit for, for sure. Hmm. So like we said, in pretty anticlimactic here. I, I don't think there was ever a question for who would be number one on this list. Uh, it, it's LaMarcus Aldridge for both of us. Uh, all pro NBA player, the the only first team all pro Dame's ever played next to. Mm-hmm. Uh, currently, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, Lamarcus was just he. You just wonder if Dame could have got there a year earlier, or or what what would have happened, or or if things could have played out a little differently. Um, I like I said, I, I touched on a little bit when we started this show in one of our locker room sessions of. I always felt that LaMarcus Aldridge was going to come back in some form. Now, granted, he wouldn't have been the same player, but I just always felt like the the story wasn't complete, and I feel like they could have had something special. I think they reconciled whatever differences they had. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's pretty well known. Um, LaMarcus is a top, top five, for sure, top ten Blazers player all time. Um, Obviously, he's going to line up at number one on this list. Yep. When I went to Lamarcus, it was obviously a no-brainer. He's the cream of the crop. But you just keep thinking about what would kind of that 2015 to 2018-19 when Lamarcus was still putting up excellent numbers, uh, looked really mobile. Um, you know what would that have looked like with him in town? What could mm-hmm. Dan have accomplished next to him? I think that would be the biggest. We, we know what he is, but we don't know what would have happened had he stuck around. And so I'll always kind of have that in the back of my head a little bit with LaMarcus. But mm-hmm. excellent career as a Blazer, and, and he was still peak LaMarcus when, when Dame was in town those first three years. Okay, so I got, I got two questions for you now that we've run through our list. First is, of the guys on your list, who do you think is most likely to move up that list? On, on your on your current chart right there, is there anything CJ McCollum can do to, to get past Lamarcus Aldridge? I don't see it, man. Lamarcus is what about, is, what about a they, they, Yeah, they'd have to they'd have to go win one. Um, Lamarcus's peak. I mean, he was an All NBA guy, and we just haven't seen that from CJ. If we're talking just in the vacuum, kind of best player, best teammate. But if they go get a title, then then yeah, CJ's up there. Um, I think it'd be tough for Nurk to overtake CJ. Some of these guys aren't on the Blazers anymore, so I don't see them moving mm-hmm. up. But uh, I don't see a whole lot of movement here in the next mm-hmm. couple of years. I, I would, I would say for me, just if Yusuf Nurkic puts a complete season together, I think he's the guy that moves up from number five on my list to to potentially even three. Right. Um, but but we'll see. Yeah, um, I, I had him at three, so it's kind of like, ah, yeah. he's, he's maxed, yeah. I think. <laughs> and then my second one is, is who is who do you think is the worst teammate that Dave, Damian Lillard's had while he's with the Blazers? Oh, God. 
I, I have mine ready. If you're ready for Georgios Papianis. Oh, God. The worst basketball player I've ever seen in person. I have never seen a seven-footer. No. He had no idea how to use his body. had no idea he was seven feet tall. It was the most painful summer league experience I've ever witnessed, and it was it was rough. Guy just <laughs> okay. waste of seven feet. I'm not going to say the uh, he was the worst basketball player, but as far as the, the most overrated who didn't really contribute to winning, would be Hassan Whiteside. And, uh, <laughs> he was not I, the worst. You know, you know I love that. I still but, have – I know I still have Hassan Whiteside wake up in cold sweats and think, thank God he's not actually on the team and it was just a nightmare. I really did not enjoy watching that guy play basketball. I'll just, I'll just say that. No, no not at all. Um, so real quick, to go through our list again, uh, one through ten for me counting down is Robert Covington at ten, Ennis Cantor at nine, Alfred Camino at eight, Norman Powell at seven, Robin Lopez at six, Yusuf Nurkic at five, Nick Nicholas Batum at four, Wesley Matthews at three, CJ McCollum at two, and LaMarcus Aldridge obviously on top at number one. And for me, I had uh, Gary Trent at 10. That's junior, not senior. Uh, Robin Lopez (laughs) number nine, Nick Batum at eight, Robert Covington at seven, Norman Powell at six, Al Farouk Aminu at five, Wesley Matthews at four, Yusuf Nurkic at three, CJ McCollum at two, and Aldridge at one. Perfect, man. All right, guys, please, we appreciate all the positive ratings that we are getting on iTunes. If you can, please subscribe. Please throw us a, a like or five stars, add a comment, add a review. Uh, we, we really appreciate those. We read those. We, we track that. Um, follow us on Twitter at Church of Roy Pod. And, and just something for me, uh, one of my good friends – one and a lot of people say when stuff like this happens that he was the nicest guy. I can't believe this happened. Uh, our good friend, uh, a friend of mine that I, I've known for the last four years, is Jonathan Charks of the Ringer. He is uh, he is battling cancer right now. Um, I've thought about him a lot this week. Um, touched base with him a little bit. Uh, we're thinking about you, buddy. We're praying for you. And if you if you do dial up the big man, please throw a prayer for him and his family this week. Um, Absolutely. Every little bit helps. So not to leave on a bummer, but but Charks, Charks is the guy. If there's anybody who can beat this, it's him. Um, but we're all thinking about you, buddy. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Church of Roy podcast. If you like what you heard, go ahead and subscribe to the show wherever you download your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Church of Roy Pod and be sure to check out our live show on Locker Room every Saturday bright and early at 8 a.m. Pacific. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.